0: common scholarship has always had the steady interest of historians. From the very beginning of the study of the commons, successful commons governance has been equated with long-enduring forms of governance. For example, in Lynn Ostrom's Governing the Commons, references are made to formal governance arrangements for land in Switzerland or irrigation systems in Spain that go all the way back to the 1400s. Also in the International Journal of the Commons, we have seen wonderful contributions that fit within this tradition of looking at the Commons from a historical, really long-term perspective, using concepts, frames and methods from the discipline of history. My name is Frank van larover I am an editor of the International Journal of the Commons, or IJC. My guest today, Maurice Paulussen, is another exponent of this particular branch of research that approaches the commons from an explicit historical angle. Maurice authored a recent IJC publication entitled Dire Necessity or Mere Opportunity, Recurrent Peat Commercialization from Raised Bog Commons in the Early Modern Low Countries. It's a paper that he wrote with Roy van Beek, Serge Nekrasov, Edward Huygens and Theo Speck. Maurice is affiliated with Wageningen University in the Netherlands, where he is working on a PhD that has him looking at peatland in the historical Low Countries. In 2004, Maurice obtained another PhD in Ecology from Utrecht University. And in 2015, he got a master's degree in Landscape History. This makes him a typical student of the commons, I would say, someone that doesn't pertain to any clearly delineated discipline. In the conversation that you are about to listen, Maurice walked us through the origin story of the paper, and we talked about what his work contributes to common scholarship. We discussed the balance between simplified typology on the one hand, and the importance of acknowledging nuance and detail on the other. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation that I had with Maurice just as much as I have enjoyed having it. In progress. Yes, we're recording. We're going to do it in English. Maurice, uh, welcome to our show. Uh, could I start by asking you to introduce yourself? Uh, how would you define yourself? I have introduced you as a historian in the introduction, but in fact you do have a PhD in ecology, more precisely in vegetation and peatland ecology. But yeah. then it seems that you have returned to the lecture halls uh, to obtain a master's in, in uh, landscape history uh, more recently. So, where do you place yourself uh, on the mosaic of academic disciplines, Maurice?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, uh, uh, Frank. First of all, for the um, for the invitation. Yes, I would um, define myself as a landscape historian with a strong uh, background and preference also for the physical landscape out there. Um, as you said, I have a previous background in uh, ecology, uh, so that I, I feel that relates quite well to what I'm doing right now as a as a historian. So um yeah. But yeah. primarily a landscape historian.
0: Yeah that, that that's great. I think you we we welcome you in the family of common scholars. I think many or most of us have uh, have problems identifying who they are professionally speaking and you fit right into that. Um a follow-up question uh, related also with uh, who you are, uh, professionally speaking, and otherwise, the paper that you have recently published in the International Journal of the Commons has a clear but also a strong Commons signature. So you and your colleagues uh, use, you refer to, you contest uh, Commons ideas, concepts, and frameworks. So how central are the Commons to your work? How 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 do you look? How do you frame your objects of study? Uh, more generally speaking, beyond Uh, the paper that we are currently discussing?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'm I'm currently working on a PhD uh, on the history of human usage and perceptions of uh, bugs, a specific type of peatland that used to be very common in the Netherlands, common as in widely distributed. And right from the start of that research, when I formulated my research proposal, um, I had the comments on my mind, because it was a, a concept that I think was readily found in, in, uh, when I was reading uh, about the history of, of Dutch landscapes and landscape usage. And also a theme that I knew from my landscape history uh, study background um, where in, uh, in Groningen with the professor Theo Speck, there was quite some attention for uh, Commons as a historical uh, institutional form of, of land management. So I was uh, already quite interested in that, uh, I must say. But it's only one of four different themes in my um, present work. So, um, um, but but nevertheless, it's a very interesting one. And one thing I would like to say is that I was really uh, enthusiastic also about the vivid uh, commons community that exists. Um, so uh, that it, it was very, f- yeah, much fun also to... Um, to, to work uh, on the paper for for the International Journal of the Commons, but also to see how close and and how vibrant that community is and how diverse.
0: Yeah, yeah. If there's one thing you can say about our community is that it's uh, it, it is fun to work with, and and we're definitely diverse. We have uh, historians, we have uh, economists, and everything in between. So uh, so that's good. Mm. So one more. No, um, well, let's 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 move on to the paper itself. So I'm sure that you didn't wake up one day thinking, I- I'm going to do research on peatland in those two particular communities, and I'm going to approach this from a commons angle. Mm-hmm. So, so would you be able to recount the origin story of the paper? Where did the underlying idea come from? What happened once the idea had started to germinate and, and take root? Can you walk us through the, well, as I said, the origin story of, of, of the paper yes. and its ideas?
1: Yeah, well... Um... <clears throat> As I said, so I had this uh, this this focus on 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 past human usage forms of peatlands, uh, and while I was working on a preliminary explan- exploratory study, um, um, uh, I found out that there were clear indications of commercialization of peat from uh, bogs uh, across the Low Countries in different places. So having read, uh, especially um, Eleanor Ostrom's uh, 1990 book, uh, Governing the Commons, but also Tina de Moore's work, for example, uh, it it appeared to me that um, there was an interesting tension there between what I found in in historical records and let's say the more theoretical ideas uh, from those works expressing um, the autonomy of, of commoners and the separation between institutions uh, uh, such as commons and uh, markets and states, you know. So um, that was actually what triggered my, uh, um, yeah, my my desire to dive deeper into that and to see if we could make a case based on historical data showing that reality was a bit more nuanced and, and complex. Um, And then I I must say, I had quite some trouble actually finding proper cases because there were some rather vague indications in historical sources that this commercialization uh, of peat existed in in, in multiple places across the Low Countries in in early modern times. But when I wanted to look for more solid uh, uh, and quantitative data that appeared to be very difficult. And I must say, I was very lucky that I could uh, find some local experts to engage with um, that, that that really pointed me in the direction of, of promising cases and that's how I ended up with those two specific case studies one in the southeastern Netherlands and one in eastern Belgium um, but as we will probably see in a minute uh, of course these also had you know their, their, their limitations but um, it was really fun it was really a team effort also with non-scientists to you know to get to the right uh, cases.
0: Yeah, that's that's another great aspect of our community. Uh, I think the fact that we are not limited to working with uh, with scientists that that lock themselves up in ivory towers. So um, so it's good to hear you confirming that in your case that that's how it worked also. And moving back to the the complexity, the nuances that you mentioned in in answer to my question follow up question also about the paper more in terms of content. So in that paper, that paper that serves as an excuse for having this uh, conversation, you compare, as you said, two historical cases uh, from the early 1600s in what is now the Dutch Pale and the Belgian Oud-Fagne. So, and, Mm -hmm. and, and there is peatland raised box that were governed as commons by communities. And and for the audience when when dried and extracted or the other way around, when extracted and dried, peat can and was in fact widely used as uh, as a fuel It can be used by community members themselves in in their homes for cooking and heating purposes, I presume, but it could also be used Mm -hmm. for more, let's say, commercial purposes, for example, by uh, by breweries. In the commons literature, we quickly resort to the notion that for governing shared resources, we can look at the state, we can look at the market, and we can look at something in between, which we then label as self-governance or community governance, uh, governance of a shared resource by more or less autonomous uh, communities. And in your paper, I feel that you that you and your colleagues seek to contest this rather simplistic notion of Uh, That in the late medieval and early modern Europe, uh, resource management solutions that are offered by markets and by states uh, were either not available or they were just emerging and therefore they were not sufficiently reliable. And therefore, as a consequence, shared resource governance or management fell on the lap of autonomous communities. And you, you add, I must say, a lot of nuance to this picture where markets both local and regional, where governments at various levels and also more or less autonomous communities play varying uh, competing but also complementary roles over time and place in the governance of local peatland. It's the nuance that I think is uh, is one of the main contributions of your of the work of you and your colleagues. So, so I was wondering, could you walk us through a couple of examples or one examples of how complexity, a kind of nuance that I refer to panned out in in practice. I'm I'm very interested yes. in hearing uh, more about that nuance.
1: <clears throat> yes indeed I think I would agree Frank that um, um this nuance is actually the main uh, so 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 we're not overturning uh, uh views I think but we are importantly trying to nuance those and one example I could give is for example the Bacel so that was one of the cases the the, the one in the Alebok region um, in the early 17th century. Uh, well we know that from late medieval times there are bylaws uh, uh, conserved for this uh, for this particular common and we know that uh, peat uh, commercialization was explicitly forbidden in those consecutive bylaws but then when you look at, at, at what happened um, it was well you could say, well, okay, there was peat commercialization, and was that not just a a clandestine kind of smuggling type uh, 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 thing going on? But apparently it was not. Um, We found that uh, uh, people from that local community were actually very open in saying, uh, uh, in court also, uh, uh, well, we have this tradition of, of marketing peat. So there was nothing apparently illegal about it. And interesting also... Um, When there was a a legal case between different villages that together used that common, um, it was in the end the regional government uh, of the Duchy of of Brabant, to which this area uh, belonged, that actually gave a very different um, decision on what was allowed than the local bylaws. So the the actually the 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 let's say the duke or the the the, 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 the ducal um, institution was much more permissive uh, towards this commercialization so that's an interesting interference almost in, in in a legal case where let's say the state or or the you know an early form of a state actually intervenes and overrules seems to overrule the local bylaw so that was a interesting case i think of this hybridity or this influence and this not so strict separation of the world of commoners and um, let's say the state just to mention one example
0: yeah and that is a wonderful example and I i can i can i strongly advise listeners to look into the paper and you'll find multiple more illustrations and examples that point to the important nuance that must be recognized in analyzing these kinds of situations historically, but also maybe in present day uh, analytical frameworks. Uh, another question about uh, about the most of most of the commons literature that I am familiar with. Um, uh, is, 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 is is based on data that is directly collected from commoners, from stakeholders that are involved with the governance of a particular commons. So the usual suspect when it comes to data collection, instruments come from uh, interviews, uh, survey, questionnaires with, with actual people. Uh, you and your team, of course, had to rely on a totally different kind of, uh, of data. Uh, uh, can you elaborate on, on how you went about for finding the information that you needed for this paper? Most colleagues that I interact with uh, talk about going to the field, quote unquote, but I guess that you talk about going to the library or going to the archive. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm very intrigued to learn a bit more about historians and the data that they work with. Can you yes. explain a little bit how that how that works?
1: Yeah, well, um, indeed, we had to rely on archival material um, mainly, and, and some secondary literature, um, so, so from libraries in addition, um, and of course that was uh, that brought some um, some difficulties with it. Again, we were very lucky to be able to team up with local experts. Uh, for example, in the Bakelse Gemeind case in, in in the Peel region, we. Um, we were lucky that a, a local historian had already uh, described, but for very different purposes and in a very descriptive manner, not referring to any theoretical concept. But this, let's say, this 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 history of 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 legal disputes between the different villages engaged in that common, and that was for us that was a a a, a fund group because we we had. Um, we had different uh, archival material that was directly pointed at. So all we needed to do was uh, go into the archive and, and look for the, you know, to have a check on that material and see um, uh, if that was true. And um, <clears throat> that gave quite some insight, but all but even there, there was, of course, the limitation that you have more questions uh, you would like to ask to commoners that you <laughs> that don't exist anymore. So, even there uh, although i think we had quite some nice pieces of the puzzle both from local sources made by the commoners um, but also from uh, correspondence from legal bodies at a regional government level um, that together gave a gave a nice picture but you're never fully sure whether that is 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 the right picture it, it felt logical the story we were able to construe from that but you're never fully sure of it. And especially in the Udfagne case, that was actually a much bigger problem because there we had a very nice time series of um, peat uh, um, acquisition by by a paper mill that was very neatly uh, administered and also referring to names of persons uh, bringing the peat in and, and how much they were paid for that and what their local origin was. So we could connect those people to uh, being commoners of a of a nearby bog area, but on the other hand, there we we in the end we hardly found any uh, information on 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 those commoners' views. Uh, we we had bylaws, uh, but not much more than that. And and from secondary literature about that region, uh, we 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 thought, well, maybe we will find information in. Um, Notary uh, uh, archives, uh, because it seemed that in this Otfani area it was often notaries in the 18th century. In this case, uh, where commoners went to, um, you know, to 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 uh, to put on paper certain agreements they would have. Uh, um, but yeah, it, in the end. We didn't find that information, so that so that was a severe limitation, I think, in the end. But so in one case we we, we had richer material relating to the views and the disputes of those commoners than in the other. So that's 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 a yeah that's a, a serious limitation for any historian. I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, more practical I'm, I'm trying to imagine or can you work from your desk and your computer is everything digitized or do you need to travel to belgium and and and, and barco and 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 go into rooms that are covered in dust and and files and cabinets what, yeah what, what do i what do i what what am i looking at
1: yeah we certainly had to to do some traveling um so that was um, that was fun. Of course, also we were a little bit impacted in the end by the by the COVID times, uh, with with archives being closed. But that did not impact us too severely, luckily, because we had already collected material before the before COVID uh, became a problem. Yeah. Um, so yes, um, uh, in the case well of of barkle we had a, a a local expert that was able to help us out with his own. Uh, uh, records he had made previously uh, describing this history which we could use in our research to put in a more theoretical uh, yeah. perspective So that was great actually it was a great way to to uh, indication to where to find the actual archival material to, uh, to check and to work with in the case of the haute we uh, i've had a lot of help of um of people, of staff members of the state archives in Liège, uh, who had a a good overview of, um, you know, historical records that were present there for the specific Odfagne area and and which uh, records might be uh, um, potentially informative. And indeed, we found some very nice leads there. So I also teamed up there with a, a regional historian, uh, Serge Nikrasov, who is one of our co-authors in the end. Uh, so he was really um, uh, uh, very well aware of the archival situation for that particular region. Plus, of course, he's a native French speaker, so that could help me you know, out also. Although I, sp- you know, I speak French myself, but this old kind of language forms, it was of great help that he could uh, join the team. Yeah. So yes, it was certainly not only uh, desk work or archival
0: work, but again, it was really teaming up with people and helping their, you
1: yeah. know, using their knowledge to find your way.
0: Yeah, that's very informative. It's 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 amazing how our community of common scholar mobilizes so many different approaches and techniques for data collection, all the way from agency-based models and econometrics and going into archives speaking with local historians and and and, and, and history buffs fantastic uh, a question uh, Maurice, about your uh, well follow up to uh, to all of this can you can you place the particular paper in a somewhat uh, let's say broader perspective was this a one time thing or do you and your team expect to follow up on it do you did, did your work on this paper maybe led to new questions new things that you are intrigued and that you want to look at is there a future is it materializing or just emerging ideas can you get a little bit of uh, perspective there
1: well I think I can say two things about it so for my immediate project I'm still working on now it was only as predefined in my PhD proposal it was only one of four themes but that was this this commons theme practical usage of Bob commons I've moved on ever since to different themes relating to people's usage and perception of bugs. So right now I'm working on different things. But I must say that really the comments, uh, and that's not only because of the the content of the research, but also of this this vibrant community that I sensed while working on this, this, uh, really has inspired me with new questions. Mainly, I must say, at the moment, to find for more examples, look for more examples. Maybe in a in a future research, historical examples of maybe very different ecosystems uh, and the way they were used. If we can find similar uh, examples there of this, you know, hybridity between commercialization and uh, um, the classical use of commons, you know, for you know for the commoners only. Uh, that 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 topic has really uh, captured me i must say uh so i hope one day maybe to to return to the comments but for the
0: time being i
1: i'm, I'm very busy with different uh, yeah. themes
0: but just so you know you're welcome in our vibrant community at any time thanks right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and again i do agree with that observation so towards the end of uh, of our conversation uh, I, I tend to end these these kinds of podcasts conversations, interviews with, with authors with a question about the practical impact of their findings. So what can commoners learn from what you studied and found is then the question. In, in your particular case, you have studies, you have studied commons from, from 500 years ago. So it's not self-evident that current day commoners or users or stakeholders involved in the governance of, uh, of commons can derive practical lessons or advice or recommendations from, from your study. But maybe i'm wrong and 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 you see something uh that can be learned by people from governing commons uh, for people governing commons today is there something that 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 commoners can take away from from your paper uh, Maurice? yeah well
1: indeed as you say let's say well, if we look purely at the box how they are right now in in large parts of europe i would say they are protected heavily protected nature reserves so that they are no longer commons and they, they, the way they are used experienced by people is fundamentally different from how it went centuries you know for centuries when they were intensively used economically um so i think that that is a very different world now but i was especially also um uh, intrigued by present day work by i i think more social scientists you know working on 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 commons for example also in africa where you have also cases of uh let's say small scale commercialization uh, uh, from from commons and i think one lesson that i could see is now given also that there's more attention also in in the netherlands and western europe for these you know commons can we use them again as as present day uh, uh, land use forms or resource use uh, management forms i think one thing that is important to remember is that you have theory and, and, and models, and that is great. And that is what we need as scientists huh, to, to, to try and capture complex reality. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed by, by all achievements in, in the community world and uh, in, the, in the commons world um, uh, and when it comes to theoretical modeling. On the other hand, I think we have to remember, and our research shows that that um, reality was more complex but it also gives opportunities it 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 can learn us to 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 be permissive to um uh, that 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 resource management and land management is also always a form of negotiation between uh, parties between local users or uh, governments but also market uh, influences and it's not per se that if you want to install a present-day common that, that it has to be fully, uh, that it can only succeed in the longer term if you separate it fully from any commercial or, 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 or state influence. Maybe that's a simple message, but it still is, I think, good uh,
0: to realize that. I think it's a strong message, in fact. I think it's a good message and it's a good message to, uh, to wrap up with. Uh, so... We'll be wrapping up this, uh, this let's call it an interview. It was a conversation, a dialogue more than anything else. Maurice, I, I thank you for this uh, this, this conversation. I, I enjoyed thank it and, uh, oh, I learned, sure. uh, a lot and I learned a lot of it. I learned a lot from, from preparing for this interview, rereading your article with more uh, eye for detail. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work, uh, comments related or not. Uh, thank you and uh, hoping to run into you at some point uh, in in, in in person thank you thanks
1: thanks again Frank
0: this was another episode of the journal episode series of the in common podcast we produce these episodes for students of the Commons ranging from seasoned scholars to early career and wannabe researchers to offer them a peek behind the scenes of research to allow them to appreciate both the nitty-gritty and the messy reality that you don't usually get to see in the polished published papers. We also make these episodes for commoners and for practitioners that may not have the time, the patience, or the appetite to work themselves through 20 pages worth of dense jargon laden research papers. And of course, we make these episodes for you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. You can find more episodes as well as our blog on our website, incommonpodcast.org. You can find the article that we discussed today on thecommonsjournal.org. In Common is the official podcast of the International Association for the Study of the Commons.